Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Tammy Brazier, who's a Senior Director of Corporate and Business Development at Good Life Fitness. If you're unfamiliar with Good Life Fitness, you need to learn about this company. They are doing some amazing things in the world of leadership and health and wellness, both corporately and also all over the world publicly. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I hope this finds you well wherever you are listening today. Um, Today's program is really, really special because I'm sitting down with a a friend of mine who I've met through the years speaking at um, the Good Life Fitness Summit that happens regularly. It's a leadership summit that happens across Canada And it's directed at human resource um, and also just people that are interested in bringing health and fitness and wellness into their company workplace. Um, I've been doing a lot of work as of late uh, under the title of leadership coach in the corporate world. And I am just finding that so many people in that world are rising up to new thoughts of how to bring leadership into a new and deeper format when it comes to leading companies. So today on the show, I'm speaking with Tammy, who actually flew to Winnipeg from Toronto to be on the podcast, which is really amazing. And we had a really, really great conversation all about how to think about leadership in a new way to meet the new demands of our world these days. If you're anything like the typical um, business owner or employee or CEO or and senior director, any any management will understand that these days in corporate world, um, we are just met with this high, fast-paced world of um, technology and new demands coming at us, and it can be very, very challenging to navigate those waters. Um, Tammy has such a refreshing way of looking at leadership in the workplace and what that actually means um, when it comes to health and wellness. She's going to also talk today about mindfulness and that link to how mindfulness and leadership are connected. So this is going to be a very, very interesting program. Also looking at uh, your work-life balance and maybe a new perspective on how to think about that. So there's going to be a lot of rich information here to to share with you. I, uh, I want you to just jump right in and take this in the words of Tammy Brazier and her world of thinking about leadership and wellness in the workplace. Here, without further ado, is Tammy Brazier. All right, well, joining me here all the way from Ontario, Toronto. She's come to Winnipeg, Winterpeg, although all the snow is melted now. Uh, Tammy Brazier's here and uh, from Good Life Fitness. She's the Senior Director of Corporate and Business Development there. And we've met a few times now through the Good Life Fitness Summit. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I think Winnipeg knew that I was coming because it's been very nice for the past two days. Yeah, it like paved the way for you Torontonians <laughs> to show up here. It's great. It's excellent. Yes, I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, um, I'm really, really excited about this conversation because I've seen you MC at some of the Good Life Fitness Summits. Yes. And just being around you, your energy and... Um, your mindset and the way that you bring people on and off stage in those moments. Um, I just know there's a lot to your story and who you are. And I can tell you've been in a leadership role for a long time. Oh, thank you for that. Yes. You know what? It's a, it's an exciting opportunity. I certainly uh, came about the MC role uh, unintentionally, um, but enjoyed every bit of it. And the opportunity to uh, interact with folks like yourself, of course, is an added benefit. Um, But I believe that sort of that that energy that you bring is contagious. So I try to take from others. I'm a screaming extrovert. So I feed off the energy of other people, of course. Um, but I'm cognizant of sort of how my energy affects others as well. So yeah, r- really excited about the opportunity. Amazing. Now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm making an assumption here that a lot of the listeners or most of them know what Good Life Fitness is all about. But there's quite a bit to this company. Yes. I'd yes. just love to just, I mean, we were talking about the summit, which is... Um, You'll probably explain this better than I will. Yeah, well, no, that's a great question. So um, to most people in the Canadian uh, population, Good Life Fitness is the largest fitness company in Canada. Uh, We currently have um, almost a million members across all all of our banners. 
um, exciting to, be, to, to work for a company uh, that's vision is really to just be part of Canada's healthcare system. We really do care from the top down about the health and wellness of our members. My specific area of expertise is within our corporate uh, group. So we have 3,000 corporate partners that, that my team and I work with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the company is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Wow. So uh, 1979 in a little small club in London, Ontario. And <sighs> David Patchell Evans, our CEO, has taken the company um, no small feat, of course, and uh, made it what it is today. So the summit is probably something that most people would not affiliate with a fitness company. Certainly we're best known for our bricks and mortar clubs, but probably about, oh my goodness, I'm, I may not do this justice. Eight years ago, uh, we started along the Good Life Fitness Health and Wellness Leadership Summit opportunity, which was really in an effort to engage thought leaders across the country in some areas of um of importance within the workplace, leadership, employee engagement, of course, health and wellness and mental health, um, you would be in, intimately aware of that. And our intention there is really just to bring thought leaders together and share with them some keynote experiences and, and ideas and hopefully have them leave that room with a better focus or some tools and things that they can take back to their workplaces to make them the best that they can be. And if that happens to drive them through our doors, be it corporately or as a member, that's an added bonus. But that's actually not the reason we do it. So really exciting to be sort of branching off into something different. Amazing. Well, my experience of that has been just super positive and just seeing the energy in that room and Mm -hmm. and people having the discussions around everything from mental health to their just how do we bring fitness into our workplace environment. It's really inspiring. And um, it's an interesting time, like especially in business in my experience with the coaching side of things, just how volatile it is and how quickly things are shifting in in the world of how do we integrate the whole person into mm-hmm. the corporate environment. And I'm sensing you must yes. see some of this going on. It's, What's your perspective on that? I am so excited by those who recognize that that's something happening right now. Um, being a Generation Xer myself, you know, the buzzword around the corporate world for quite some time has been the generations that are working for you. About five years ago was the first time we had five generations represented in the workplace. And that can be challenging for those leading companies. And how do you bring a work environment that's going to fulfill all obligations as it comes from each demographic that's that's represented in, in your workplace, mm-hmm. which, which is a challenge for sure. So the fact that people are taking a step back and looking at, you know, how do we service the full person? And it's less about employees working for the company. It's more about that company helping to engage people to help them be the best company they can be. And that really does start and end with leadership, which is really where my passion lies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get into that, that discussion of leadership. And um, I'm always curious if you, if we go back to sort of the beginning of your entryway into this career and and how you built into this leadership role like how did that all begin for you let's just start there because well, depends on how far back you want to go you take us to where you feel intuitively we should go well I'll probably start back um, so I am an only child um, I am adopted to um, a very modest family from Newfoundland uh, wow. Newfoundland Canada I was born in Toronto um, and the reason I bring up being adopted which my parents don't always love that I'm so comfortable talking about simply because I think they forget that they didn't actually give birth to me. Um, But I was probably about a year old and I was adopted. And the reason that plays a role is I learned self-awareness and how my thoughts and actions impacted others at a very young age. So I was probably told that I was adopted when I was about eight, seven or eight years old. And as you can imagine, not having a lot of emotional intelligence at that point, interpreting what that meant for my life was a long journey. Mm. Um, How I reacted, it was a family adoption for the most part. So uh, my biological father, I was adopted by his sister and her husband. Oh, wow. So I had never met my biological mother. Um, That's a whole other podcast, but I was, I'm 43 now and I did meet her when I was 40. Um, But again, that's a whole other conversation. Um, But yeah, it it sort of just paved the path of really recognizing how my thoughts and actions impacted other people. That was probably my first introduction into leadership. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I'm a screaming extrovert. Um, I'm usually not at a loss for words. I have lots to say, or at least (laughs) think I do. Uh, But that wasn't always positive for me. Hmm. So um, 
you know, married my high school sweetheart, um, certainly took a very traditional path, you know, went to college and university and started my first career in big pharma and, uh, wasn't coined a great leader in the beginning. So I had a lot, I had a lot to learn. What coins not being a great leader, just to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, given my personality, I certainly always wanted to contribute, always had something to say, but learning how to go about saying them and how your, how, what you say impacts other people was something I learned really hard. Um, didn't know what soft, soft skills were. Um, I think we're far more educated at a younger age now, Yeah. Uh, but I had, you know, performance reviews, for example, uh, which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of and not, not because of they're this so reason, terrifying. but I, 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 I don't believe they're fostering the right outcome. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one of the things that always sticks out in my mind is one of my managers at the time had said, you know, Tammy needs to be more tolerant of people, period, like the word period, then a period. <laughs> so wow. full stop period. And I thought to myself, gee, what does that mean exactly? I'm a great, I'm, I'm really nice. And, but I had this sort of, if you couldn't do what I did as fast as I did it, then you weren't as good as me. That's what, that wow. was that young sort of, I want to impress, I want to do. And, yes. and I recognize that that doesn't create leadership. That alienates you and alienates other people. And that wasn't a path I wanted to go down. So it was a really hard lesson learned for me. Whoa, what an insight. So was it in that comment that you found the shift starting to take place? It absolutely set me on a different path forward. Uh, I didn't feel good about it, of course. Um, But at the same time, I sort of thought, what did it mean? I was so happy that that manager took the opportunity to point that out for me. Now, I was probably 24 or 25 years old at that point. probably didn't come full circle on that till my early 30s, but it definitely made me more aware. And I knew at that moment that I needed to better myself in order to have the influence and relationships with people that I wanted to, because my intentions were right, my actions were wrong. Um, And I talk a lot about, you know, people don't get mad at what you say. They get mad at why they think you're saying it. It's not even about how you say it. Mm. So if you really think about it, I think you're a fan of Wayne Dyer. And he Huge talks about fan. the power of intention. And, and you know, I did a lot of little, you know, readings and sort of self-help stuff back then um, that really just sort of set me on this path of what I now call authentic leadership. Yeah. So that's important too, this, this whole path of authentic leadership. And I keep hearing the word leadership emerging, especially mm-hmm. in the corporate world and we're doing a lot of leadership effectiveness assessments yes. and all this type of work. Um, what does that exactly mean, authentic leadership to you? Well, it depends on who you ask. Right. Um, <laughs> you can certainly punch it into Google and it will give you a very uh, corporate meaning of authentic leadership. The angle that I take an opportunity to talk about is authentic is being your kind of leader, but a leader that yields the result that you want. So, you know, the reason I say that is, I started work, you know, in the early 90s or mid 90s, I guess. And there was still a lot of, uh, and excuse my language, but, you know, kick ass bosses, like you went, and you got your ass kicked, you got you, you know, you were told what to do, you were told how, how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was get on board or find another job. And that was leadership back then. Wow, like that's really? what <laughs> what leadership was like. And yeah. you had to be, you know, a, you know, a bit of a hard ass. And I think we've really come a long way from that now. It's you, we, we recognize to get the most out of people, to get the best out of people, that you really need to figure out how to communicate, how to be curious. Um, you know, I use the word authentic because I think it's more recognizable in the workplace. But if I had to use one word to describe an effective leader, it would be curious. You Mm. need to ask questions. You need to not know everything because you don't. Yeah. And there's a good to fair chance that people you have working for you on your teams, they know far more than you and you should want them to. And because that's where that, that real, you know, inclusive, diverse, um, workplace where people feel inspired and excited to come and contribute. That's where that happens. Right. Um, so, so to me, authentic leadership yeah, it's really just sort of figuring out how you can lead as, as authentic to yourself as possible. I know as uh, as much as I'm a screaming introvert, I have a ton of, uh, or, or extrovert, Extra- pardon me. I have a lot of introverted, you know, friends and family who are amazing leaders. It is not about, you know, screaming the loudest and being the most energetic. And it is really about figuring out how, how to inspire others in an authentic way to you. Um, things like integrity and 
humility yeah. and being curious and empathy, of course, you know, continues to top all of the surveys that you mentioned as the most important quality of an authentic leader. Right. Um, they're noticing too, like in a lot of the studies they're doing with um, this thing called the leadership circle profile, mm -hmm. that um, there's sort of like task-based leaders and relationship-based leaders. And there's sort of this dance between the two, Yes. but they're finding that um, especially with like how business is shifting, that the relational side of things for people is just needs to be focused on as like a, a highlight in terms of leadership. Are you finding that? I happening? would totally agree with you. Yes. Yeah. I believe the, the, some of the most effective leaders are those that probably know the least about the tasks that are affiliated with the group they're leading. Huh. which wow. which really is around soft skills and the ability to build relationships and communicate and help others be their best selves. I just read an article on LinkedIn, um, Google, which is a company I think we all think is a fantastic place, yeah. simply based on their growth and culture that they at least display in the media. Right. It sounds um, so dreamy. <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. And, you know, they, they just did um, a leadership survey as well. And, you know, it's interesting when they, they ask 10 questions of the, of the people who work for them. And, and I apologize if I'm not doing this uh, justice, but you know, of all of the problems or all, all of the questions asked, nine of the 10 were about relationships. They really only ask about their leaders, tasks and skill set one tenth of what they think is important. Wow. And that's really what they, they coin is allowing them to grow and inspire and keep great leaders. So I think we're, we're definitely at a really exciting point where, I think we're starting to um, evaluate the benefit of relationships and relationships is not about fake respect. It's not about I'll come in and do what you tell me to do because you're my boss. Mm -hmm. It's about you create an environment that makes me want to do it. You know, you mm -hmm. inspire me to come in here every day and do my best. And a long time ago, you know, coming from parents, you know, very blue collar, the goal was if, if you can get paid for doing something you love, then you've, then you've hit you know, the jackpot. And I think there's more people doing what they love now because of this sort of conscious effort around what it means to be a great leader. What do you think has been like the, the shift towards this in terms of like, you know, moving from that sort of top down, like kick ass, we just got to like yep. push forward into this more relational, authentic leadership movement in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on how that why yeah. that's happening? Um, I can certainly give you some opinions. I, yeah. I, I definitely don't think um, I've done enough research on sort of what the shift is um, outside of just the shift itself. But I, I would argue that the, the, the generations post sort of boomers and onward, um, they've evolved. Mm -hmm. And they haven't, you know, they've innovated. And I recently heard someone describe it as, you know, evolving is taking what we know and doing it differently. Um, a revolution is about doing it differently. It mm -hmm. has little to do with what we know. And I think that's where we are. Like we've been raising our kids. We have so much more tools and access to, you know, whether it's data and statistics and we're so overstimulated with, and I say overstimulated, maybe just stimulated period with social media and all of the different avenues that we have to gain education. And I feel like we're just a smarter more educated, more aware um, generation now as a, as a whole, like including all of us, than we ever have been in the past. So a lot of companies, I think, have learned the, the hard way. They've paved the path for us. They've sort of taken some of the hits and learned what worked and what didn't. And we're finally smart enough to realize that, you know, people don't work for the company. I love Good Life Fitness, of course. Um, but at the end of the day, I really don't work for Good Life Fitness. I, I work for the leaders that I interact with every day. I work for my team, Yeah. you know, who seemingly don't have a lot of say in sort of my performance or my, um, you know, how I'm compensated, so to speak. But but, that, but that's who I work for. You know, I get up every day with this inspiration to be around that group of people. And when companies create environments where it's less about your brand and it's more about your people, they achieve things that they, they just never thought possible. Wow, that's mm -hmm. incredible. How do you make it more about your people? Like just in yeah. terms of that, because I know there's a lot of people that listen in on this that are, are totally struggling with that challenge of yeah. we've got to get the task done. I don't have time for the people like mm -hmm. that mindset. There's a very big debate right now on managers versus leaders and right. sort of what, 
what that looks like. And it's true. Like, let's not, let's not lose sight of the fact that things need to get done. You yeah. can't go around every, you know, all, all day hugging and holding hands and telling great stories about, you know, your things. But I think you absolutely have to create an environment where the whole person is welcome at work. And what that means is the days of sort of leaving your personal baggage at the door. Mm. Um, those, those, those don't work anymore. Um, you get a lot of people off on sabbatical and sick leave and stress leave and um, with mental health challenges because they have to be this different person at work than they're able, than who they're feeling and thinking. You know, we have a big thing at Good Life. Our CEO, Patch, he extremely um, effective as a motivational speaker, but he asks you, you know, what are you? And you yell, I'm a 10. And <laughs> if it's not, you know, if it's not, if it's not loud enough, he'll ask you again. But the harsh reality is sometimes you're a seven. Yeah. And you've got to be able to come into work as a seven and that's okay. So I guess to get back to your question, um, leaders need to be curious. They need to ask questions. They need to create inclusiveness and inclusive is not about, I'm not referring to race or stature or, you know, are you single? Are you married? I don't, I, I actually just mean schools of thought and so you're not the you know director. You happen to be a coordinator or an administrator. There's a good to fair chance that your input is equally, if not more, valuable than that of the director because you have that frontline experience. So as a company, are you creating an opportunity for those people to have a voice? Mm. And that's what helps get things done. So too often we don't ask certain questions because we don't want the answers because we're not prepared to act. Right. And that's a vicious cycle. That's something that I think companies need to stay, take a step back and challenge themselves to say, have we created a platform, an avenue, a landscape where we can get that feedback from people? Maybe it's anonymous. Maybe you create an environment that's psychologically safe mm -hmm. and healthy that they can give you that feedback and you can know who it's coming from because there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. It is really about being better and being, you know, being the best that we can be. And you need to have an inclusive environment to do that. That's powerful. I just, I think about words like when you say integrity or honesty or, you know, being that authentic mm -hmm. whole person. I mean, for a lot of people in the workplace, up to date, that's a very tall order and scary. Like I think of just how much fear is in, I'm going to show up as myself. Well, what if I get judged? Absolutely. So what you're saying here is creating that culture of non-judgment, mm -hmm. inclusiveness, acceptance, yes. and not maybe always having to be the 10 on days when you're struggling. Absolutely. One of the things that is most valuable that I don't know, I know some companies are doing, but is celebrating mistakes. Wow. Leaders are so afraid to fail because they're supposed to know everything. I'm supposed to be perfect. I'm a leader. I'm supposed to stand up in front of my group and I should know everything that they ask me. But b having an environment or culture where it's okay to fail, because I would argue you learn far more in failure than you will ever learn in success if True. you do something right. I mean, I've been raising an elite athlete from a baseball standpoint. He's 17 years old, and he's going to go to school to play baseball. Wow. It's, if there's one thing you learn in baseball, it's to fail. Yeah. And there's so much to be learned in failure in leadership as well. And if you create an atmosphere at your work where it's okay that your leaders fail, you, you actually talk about it and welcome what's been learned from it. That culture in and of itself spreads to the entire team. And people realize that it's okay to make a mistake because we're going to have learned something from that. We hope our mistakes don't cost us millions of dollars, of course, but people make mistakes all, all, all the time. And I think having leaders who are okay to admit that certainly helps with that safe environment. Huh. People, I always say this to people when I have an opportunity to do a workshop and, you know, work with a, with a group. Have you ever met somebody and inside of like 10 minutes of talking to them, you could tell them your whole life story? That's the kind of connection you want to have at work with your employees, with your associates, with your peers. You want to make it so safe that they can be 100% authentic with you because you're not going to judge them. Wow. People don't say things for fear of being judged. And if we can get rid of that sort of judgment and um, that cat, that crass sort of, oh, did you hear about what that guy did? Right. He re it is astonishing what you can do when you feel safe. That's incredible. Does this have to come from the top-down approach? Like, does this have to start from a CEO or a senior team mm -hmm. in order to have that effect? Or can this happen in, in terms of like just, you know, the, the manager or mm -hmm. on, on that administrative level? Like, does this have to come from the top-down? Or do you think this kind of culture can be affected from the bottom up? Sure. Great question. Uh, 
I think through experience, it doesn't have to be the top down. I think everybody knows that that's ideal. It's great to have your leader in support of and sort of setting the tone. That's what authentic really means. Like does, is everybody, are we talking the talk or are we walking the walk? Do the rules that apply to me apply to you, my leader, my manager as well? That's where that sort of integrity piece comes in. Mm -hmm. But I say that in the same breath, never underestimate your opportunity or value to influence at any level. So absolutely, we want our CEOs, uh, you know, our CFOs, our VPs, we want them adopting that same type of um, caring, safe, psychologically healthy environment, 100%. But if you are in an environment where that's not the case, don't underestimate your ability to influence and have an impact. Because when it's something that breeds such a positive result, it's astonishing how contagious it can be. Wow. Um, so it, it, it can start anywhere. Wow. Have you seen that happening at all in in the workplace environment where? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Like I, I just thinking of a few people in particular that I speak with regularly on the coaching side of things. And we talk about this a lot and they're kind of playing um, a role of manager. So they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not necessarily the CEO of the company and the mindset initially is sort of like, I'm not going to be able to make a difference. So why should I say anything at all? Yes, it's it, that is the age old sort of Achilles heel that we all sort of have, you know, if I, what, what impact am I going to have? How can I make this better? But I always challenge people to say, if you are in that place, imagine just, just for a minute, take off all the barriers, everything that's stopping you from doing this. Imagine a place where you're able to achieve the level of, of success that you want. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Now imagine how quickly others take notice when that actually happens. Even in your little team, maybe it's a small group, maybe you lead five people. Yeah. But because you've created some of the things that you and I are talking about today, and you've instilled those values and represented what I believe to be authentic leadership, you're going to overperform other groups that are not doing that. And yeah. you will take notice. You will force that that sort of adoption. Maybe it's a longer road. Um, I certainly don't think it's anything magical. We can't, you know, we can't wave a magic wand and hope and, and hope to make a difference overnight. But if nobody starts, then nothing gets better. True. So it absolutely is possible for sure. I'm also, as you're speaking, thinking about how important it is to come from the inside out. Like this is about individually creating the authenticity mm-hmm. and having the, the bravery to Stand mm-hmm. in your power. Well, that's right? such a great point. When I think about uh, how to be an effective leader, it's it starts with you. So you spend a great deal of time getting yourself right. And by right, I mean, do you know what your intentions are? Do you know why you want to, want to achieve this certain thing? Is your is your purpose, is it clear to both yourself and your team? Don't go in and deliver a message to your team that you don't buy into. Right. That's not authentic. Good and point. they will know. They will definitely know. And I've done that. Like I've done that myself years ago when I started in leadership. You think it's the right thing to do. But you quickly learn that in order to lead people the, for the long term towards what it really is a beneficial outcome, you have to believe it yourself. And if you don't, then you've got to figure out a way for that message to connect with your values, with your why. Um, it really does start with you. Wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's the, another piece that's coming in is um, question about how you would motivate somebody on a team that seems unmotivated and uninspired, and they're just clocking in, clocking out, mm-hmm. going through the day. And you know, you're perhaps a manager that's in an authentic leadership role. How do you motivate your team? Any ideas on how you would do that? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a great question. And it's interesting that even in the description of that question, we assume that the person who's coming in and behaving in the way that you just described is because of a lack of motivation. Oh, interesting. But we don't actually know that. So, you know, people choose not to do something or they don't do it because they don't know how or they're not getting out of it what they had hoped. So motivation, there's nothing more unmotivating than trying to motivate someone who isn't doing the role that's best for them or they don't have the tools and knowledge to do the role that they're supposed to be doing. So 
the reason I say that is, um, I've, you know, I've taught a course for many, many years. It's called Crucial Accountability through, through Vital Smarts, um, a phenomenal program. Mm. I don't think it's overly, um, you know, I'm not sure what the spend is from a corporate standpoint, but one of the activities is about this six source model and being able to work with individuals to find out, is it motivation that's affecting them or is it something else? So getting back to, if you're an authentic leader, you likely wouldn't have someone on your team like that because you would have spent some time getting to know their why. And it's really important that you find connections within themselves to what they're doing. Wow. So if you can make those connections for people, sometimes it's just as simple as what's important to them and finding a way to connect their role to to that level of importance. But if you spend no time with that individual and you don't know much about them, and chances are you're sitting back and judging that mm-hmm. they're unmotivated, you'll never motivate them. So you really do need to take the time to understand what drives the behavior and why. That is brilliant. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The curiosity it comes mm-hmm. back to that curious about the individual. Yes. Totally. Um, another thing that's coming up for me as we're speaking is, and I'm really excited about this, women in the workplace and just around leadership. And we're seeing a lot more women rising up into leadership roles, which mm-hmm. really excites me. It's like, it's, it's like there's almost been a shift from this sort of masculine I've noticed into more of a, a feminine, intuitive, like it's needed at this time. Absolutely. I'd love to hear what your perspective is being a woman in the workplace environment, in leadership. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of opinions about this and a Great. lot of thoughts on this. And <laughs> we probably on, don't have too much time <laughs> to go through them. Yeah. I, I struggle with this a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I really do believe in looking at at a person for what they can bring to the table and what type of individual they are and how and how can they contribute and I would never be in support of hiring someone because they're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe to, you know other fellow women out there that might come across the you know the wrong way. I'm a supporter of women absolutely, uh, but more importantly, I'm a I'm a supporter of people. Yeah. And I think if you possess the tools and the and the knowledge and the emotional intelligence and the connection to do a job well, then you should absolutely get an opportunity to, uh, to do that job. And I, and, I, and I don't believe that women are better set up to do that than men. What I do believe is as a society, we have made assumptions about men and we don't make the same assumptions about women. You know, I attended a Women Who Influence uh, conference last year and one of, the, one of the women there shared with us that when women and men apply for jobs, you know, a man typically needs 60% of the qualifications in order to qualify. And if a woman doesn't have a hundred percent of them, she doesn't qualify. And to me, this is very indicative of just sort of what is the voice that is in our heads as women? What are we being told to ourselves? And this gets back to your Mm. mindfulness and you know, are we listening to that voice and, and what those thoughts and sayings are doing to us and our belief in ourselves? As women in general, and I don't mean this to sound chauvinistic at all, but we achieve a hell of a lot more than most men on an average day. <laughs> I would agree. And I say that. <laughs> I totally agree. You know, you. being a working mom, yeah. there's a lot that goes on to that. We you know if you're a wife and, a, and, an, um, and you have a career and you're raising children, it is really tough to balance all of those things. And I think the statistics that show men in a CEO role versus women in a CEO role you know, most of those women don't have children and that's unfortunate Mm -hmm. because we've created this sort of expectation around deliverables that make it almost impossible for you to succeed. So, and maybe impossible is a little too strong of a word, but I absolutely am a supporter of women leading and being in executive roles and having an influence, not because they're genetically women, but because I believe we bring, we bring a school of thought that is different. Yes. And, and I think that's important. I think culturally it's important, whether it's race, background, economics, whatever it is, you need to create an environment where you have thought diversity. That's where the greatest companies achieve the greatest things. And, and absolutely part of that is being a woman. Um, and I, I follow lots of women, you know, in leadership and, and I'm inspired by it, you know, to, to digress a little bit. I have a, a 17 year old son that I mentioned who's graduating high school this year. And part of his business, um, one of his writing pieces in business this year was to write about the glass ceiling. 
Wow. Like, how incredible is that? <laughs> That's so encouraging. 17-year-old boys wow. thinking about the glass ceiling and as it pertains to women and making projections and about where we'll be in 10 to 15 years. Like, these are very inspiring things. So despite the fact that the needle for women uh, perhaps isn't moving as fast as we would like it to, um, you know, call me an, call me an optimist, but you know, I believe it's moving and I think that's positive. Yeah. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just have to also say I, women like in my experience are just so, they are very relational naturally. Like it's mm-hmm. the gift of that. And I think in all of us, we have male and feminine, masculine, feminine qualities, but the ability to relate and connect and the intuition of a woman yes. in a leadership role, it just so excites me. Because it's not, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit <laughs> narrow here in my thinking, but I just think of the feminine quality of intuition. And I, I do speak about that in mindfulness and just being able to access that intuitive place in all of us when we're living in a leadership role. Man, it's just, it's so exciting to think about the future of leadership in that way. It's oh, it is. so good. Absolutely. And having, having people like yourself just bringing awareness and attention to that sort of thing, I think is part of what's moving the needle. Yes. Uh, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's exciting to think about change, but change for the right reasons. You know, mm-hmm. it's so exciting. I uh, want to get back to the balance piece. Sure. Um, just, I know there'll be some people listening that want some thoughts on this. Um, balancing your work life and like work life balance, especially uh, when you're a mom, but you're in a leadership role sure. and just the demands of it all. Sure. How have you been able to navigate those waters? Mm-hmm. How does that look? Well, I will go back and say that I'm not a big fan of work-life balance. I get you. Because things <laughs> that balance imply that you have equal weight on both sides. Yes. And that's not going to happen. And those who have been chasing that for many years have likely felt failure. That's like a myth, isn't it? It totally is. Yeah. It absolutely is. At any given moment, one is going to outweigh the other. Yeah. And I think how you achieve success within that shift is being able to respond to the shift. So I asked our CEO, Patch, many, many years ago, uh, how are you able to do all of these things? I mean, Patch is an extremely busy guy and he's everywhere. He's everywhere doing everything. And he said, by being present. Mm. And I thought, well, well, what the heck does that mean? I mean, I was at, you know, this was 12 years ago. I'm in my early thirties. Well, I was 30 at the time. Like, what does that mean? And when you're at home, you're at home. You're not, you know, looking at your computer, checking your cell phone every 10 minutes. Like you are giving that part of your life to your home. And when you're working, it's much the same. There's a slight shift when you're the primary caregiver and you're the one getting the call from the school, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to have a support system as well. But I think not being in search of balance is the key. Wow. So you've really got to be able to sort of let yourself bend a little bit with that. Sometimes work is going to take more out of you and sometimes you're going to get all of that back with family. But being flexible with yourself and mindful of how that's making you feel is so important to getting at that place where you can be really great at both. Oh, I love it. And I know that you're doing a lot of work with the mindful, authentic leader or authentic, mindful leader. Sure. Especially in this talk coming up with the summit. But um yeah. Can you explain how mindfulness and authentic leadership work together? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At least from my perspective, um, I feel like to be an authentic leader, you have to be authentic to yourself. And you have to understand what your thoughts and actions, how they influence you. Mm. Because if you don't know how they influence you, then you're likely not going to get to a place where you can influence others. Now, you know, I often use this this um, saying or something that I think I made up and if somebody else is listening and made it up then by all means correct me but in order to influence others you have to be influenced so what that actually means is if you don't have the ability to change your own thoughts to influence how you're feeling how do you think you're going to influence and affect others Mm. probably not going to happen so if you're that person that's plugging away and always putting others ahead of yourself and you're last and it's you know, others, 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 be it family or work, there's a good chance that your your ability to be mindful as a leader is going to be compromised. Mm. Because if you can't hear your own voice and understand how your actions on a day-to-day basis affect you, then you're not going to have a very positive influence on others because you won't know how it affects them. Wow. At least it'll be superficial. Yeah. And it won't be authentic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What are some ways people can start tuning inward 
to those thoughts and actions mm-hmm. within themselves? Well, definitely, uh, we overschedule ourselves as, <laughs> as a rule. Yep. And leaders, I think, would probably say, oh, you know, some people might be listening and think, ah, oh, yeah, it'd be great to be able to do that if I had 40 more hours in the week. But I think there are, there are values to putting um, up at expectations and guidelines around what's acceptable to you. And something that I do, you know, I start each day uh, with exercise. Um, certainly being, you know, working for Good Life Fitness, that might sound plugged. It's not. Um, exercise, you know, some people it's walk, some people it's meditation or it's yoga or whatever it is that makes you feel very good mentally is something that you should be starting your day with. Um, I feel like it allows me to just sort of reflect and be in tune with how I'm feeling that day. Because if I know what my thoughts are that day, then I'm better prepared to act on them later. So if I know that perhaps I'm not feeling 100%, I'm not a 10 today, I'm probably more like a seven and a half, then I'm going to be aware of my thoughts and actions that they might be coming from a place of a seven and a half. Mm. And I might need to challenge myself a little more on some of the decisions I want to make that day. And I might need to ask myself a couple of clarifying questions before I dive into something to make sure that I'm in the right place that I, that I need to be in to achieve what it is that I want to achieve. And it's, it's that whole stop ignoring what's actually happening in your head. You know, it's the, so often we just, particularly as working women, we starve for that sort of pleasing others. Like I need to, I need to get this done. I need to, you know, make this person happy. The kids are expecting this, the, the, you know, the partner is expecting this and the boss is expecting this. And as a result, you sort of, you haven't heard one thing that you've said to yourself all day, 50,000 thoughts, uh, you know, they say average, I, th- I think it's yeah. 50 or 20,000, you know, on a day. How many of those are you listening to? Yeah. So important. Yeah. And the quality of them, yes. I imagine too. Are they? And if you don't hear them, you can't change the quality. If you're not listening to them, you can't change them. Yes. And that's so important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you monitor your thoughts as you're going through the day? Yeah. I think, um, you know, I'm definitely not the poster child for it. So I don't claim to do it every day really well. But I make an effort and I definitely get an A for effort. I think what I, I am, I would coin myself as someone who is very self-aware. Um, I certainly, you know, would like to acknowledge that I'm aware of areas that I need to improve and that I want, that I want to be better or that I feel really good about. Mm. Um, you know, Marcus Buckingham talks about playing to your strengths and a strength is not necessarily something you're good at. It's something that makes you feel good. So if there are days when I've sort of gotten myself into a bit of a negative slump, um, whether it's my thoughts or just how I'm feeling, I always challenge myself to ask questions, ask Mm. myself questions. Why am I feeling like this? Where is this coming from? And with each answer, I ask another question. And with that answer, I ask another question. And it doesn't take too many questions with a lot of practice uh, before I realize what the root of what's causing me to feel that way, like feel that way that day, what, what that is. And I firmly believe that I have the power to change all of my thoughts. I'm not someone who believes that I am victim of those things around me. Sure. Um, Maybe that's, you know, slightly narcissistic. I'm not sure. But that feeling of power over myself yes. is what just motivates me. I know that if I'm having a bad day, I have the power to get out of that. Yeah. Even if that bad day is influenced by the actions or behaviors of someone else, I control my response to that. And I really just hold myself to that and challenge myself every day. Wow. I imagine that's where the mindfulness side of this yes. comes in so helpful. I mean, it's just, yeah. It, what, a lot of people ask, like, what does mindfulness mean? Um, how do I make sense of that? And I mean, I wrote a whole book on it, but I'm curious from your perspective on it, like what does mindfulness practice actually mean to you in reality, like in your day-to-day life? I had a, a bit of an epiphany probably about 18 months ago. I would have argued that I was mindful before that. Mindful meaning I thought, you know, I was being thoughtful about the things that I said to others and thoughtful um, about how my actions affected others. But mindfulness to me up until about 18 months ago was very much about other people. Mm. And I would argue that it's probably much the opposite. Um, so I happened to mention earlier on today that I married my high school sweetheart and, you know, I'd been dating him since grade nine and, you know, great, great, wonderful guy. We had a really good life together and, you know, we had our, our son brought him home on our one year anniversary and, mm. you know, life was seemingly wonderful to everybody. But I was struggling. 
I was struggling with um, ignoring my own thoughts and my what I was actually feeling about who I was and what I wanted and the things that were sort of driving my day-to-day happiness. Mm. And being mindful to me, as of 18 months ago, I, I shut down all the noise and I let myself be heard. Wow. It's, I, I'd love to tell you exactly how I did that so it could be replicated to others. The only thing that I can offer is that you have to make an intelligent, it's an intellectual commitment to know that your voice is meaningful. It means something. And so for me, mindfulness absolutely is about gratitude and appreciation and, you know, being present and all of those things that sort of make you a good person, you know, to, to, uh, to others. But sometimes it's gratitude for yourself, right? Like we don't do that enough. We think it's, you know, it's arrogant or it's too confident or, but sometimes you really do need to, to take a step back personally and professionally and listen to your voice. What is it telling you? Yeah. And how do those thoughts make you feel? And to me, that's what, that, that's what mindfulness practice is about. And I'd love to say I do it every day. I don't. But a few times a week, I make a conscious decision to reflect on my own thoughts. And to me, that's mindfulness. Right. Wow. I so appreciate, too, the part of you that's shifted into, like, having the courage to speak what your truth is and to show up vulnerably. Like, that's really admirable, especially in in the workplace environment, but just in general in your life, like, all, all around, just to, mm. to show up with that that integrity and vulnerability of what, what your truth you. is. It's Thank very you. Very powerful. Thank you. Yeah. I um, want to ask you what you're most looking forward to in the next phase of your leadership development and growth. Excellent. What am I most looking forward to? Well, I, I mentioned earlier on that I have the pleasure of working with thousands of companies across Canada. Yeah. And I would say that I'm at a place in my life right now where I'm eager to learn and I'm eager to be challenged and um, I am eager. To, I've always said, you know, sort of I love the idea of having a positive influence, but I feel like this next chapter, you know, be it of my life or of my, or, or of my career, having the opportunity to work with organizations and develop other leaders and share my experiences, I feel like although the expectation is that I'm going to influence and empower them, that I'm actually going to get just as much influence and learning and empowerment out of it. And that's really exciting. Oh, that's awesome. I love that sign of a creative leader is just wanting to like learn and grow and personally develop. That's so great. And oh, one other thing that's coming up too is just um, this piece since, I mean, we're speaking to good life fitness here. Is there any suggestions for companies... um, and just anybody listening, how to integrate more of that physical health and fitness into their day? I mean, it's just, it's so easy to Age just go, question. go to, yeah, go straight to your computer and just work. Yes. yes <laughs> how do you absolutely. integrate that? Any absolutely. ideas? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I would be, uh, I'd be, I'd be fired if I didn't have any ideas <laughs> in the senior director role at Good Life Fitness. Yeah. I'd love to hear. Yeah. You. It's yeah. so Definitely a hot topic, certainly in speaking with organizations um, around the country um, who are hoping to inspire their their employees to take an active interest in their health and wellness. And there are three reasons that people typically don't take action with respect to a traditional club or gym environment. Uh, one is intimidation. And that's that whole judgment piece that, yeah. you know, that we talked about. Uh, the other is financial. So sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a monetary issue. And third is time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at any given moment in your life, those three things can be in a different order. And typically for, you know, a working executive, time is definitely one of them. Um, but again, it's, it's sort of about looking at your day and evaluating how to make the best use of that time to make you the most productive in such a way that you feel good about the day. So we often talk about scheduling fitness. Um, If you sort of put fitness out there as something I'll get to if I have time, Mm -hmm. the reality is you will not have time. And there's this argument or, you know, feeling, argument's too strong a word, but feeling that, you know, we're hardwired to not want to exercise because we, you know, our ancestors, you know, if you think back years, hundreds of years ago, or well, not even that long, we were hunting and we had to, you know, um, conserve our energy. I, I would say as a, as a population, we've really evolved quite yeah. a bit from that to the point where I think most of us are starving for that. Even if you're a couch potato and that's not a judgment call, but if you're somebody who really enjoys just sitting on the couch and watching TV, you can get a balance of that. 
if even if you only invest 20 minutes to yourself each day, and that 20 minutes can be a brisk walk to the corner and back, it does not need to be in a fitness club. Um, and although I'm, you know, a representative of Good Life Fitness, fitness and wellness as a whole is a continuum. Mm-hmm. And at any given point in your life, you're at a different point of that continuum. But day one, step one, is recognizing that there is physical and mental benefit to taking care of yourself. What does self-care look like to you? And in my world, I do believe that our bodies are meant to move. We are meant to be in motion. And we feel great about ourselves when we do. That's why we release endorphins. And there's a hundred different benefits of exercise. You know, everything from positive mental health to an increased sex drive, depending on what you're after. These are all great benefits of being active. So I think valuing that time for yourself is step one. If you can't get there, you'll never commit. And the last thing I'll say on it is fitness doesn't have to be seven days a week. And it doesn't have to be every day of every month for 365 days. The struggle is real. I mean, we did a campaign on that not not that long ago. It's ebbs and flows, right? Sometimes you're able to work out every single day and you feel really, really good. And then there's like three or four weeks that go by. You're traveling for work. It's it's all you can do to spin on a bike for 10 minutes. That's okay. If you've read anything that our CEO has published, you know that good enough is good enough. Yeah. And sometimes you've just got to let that be. So I think with the discouraging piece is that some of us get the idea of what fitness is supposed to look like in our minds. And it's not what's on social media or what's on a sports magazine. It is for that person, sure. you know, perhaps. But find out what that is for you. Be mindful of what's acceptable to you. Yeah, internally. Wow. Did I ever need to hear that section <laughs> of this talk? Because I've been uh, wanting to go for a jog all day and I just haven't been into it. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I, I do need to move. And it's just yeah. it's very inspiring. Thank you. You never regret a workout. I can no, tell you that. No, you won't. You always feel better after you do it. It's Definitely so good. Do. Wow. Tammy, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and to share all this wisdom. And I just, I know there's a lot of people listening that are going to be affected by um, this wisdom that's come through. And I just, I also want to just really appreciate you for showing up authentically as a leader. And I'm just really excited to hear more of your voice in the workplace and uh, across the country, hopefully North America and beyond. Yes. Well, Halifax, (laughs) May 7th, uh, the Good Life Fitness Health and Wellness Leadership Summit is there. And we're in Calgary on October 22nd. And in November, we're back in Toronto, November 26th. So lots of opportunities to hear, not only from myself, who will probably pale in comparison to some of our speakers who will come and sort of, you know, thought, uh, thought provoke lots of, you know, great ideas and inspirations for those in attendance. So we're really Really excited, and I appreciate you more than anything for having me here today. It's always uh, always great to get together. So thank you. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, go check out the Good Life Fitness Summit. It's really worth checking out if it's in your city, even if it's not. Fly in, spend the day. You're going to be inspired, and it's just a really, really great way to get your mind, your body, your spirit in alignment. So go check that out. And thanks again, Tammy. Thanks, Keith. All right. Well, that was so inspiring. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I'm really, really appreciating this idea of work-life balance and that it's not about getting a perfect 50-50 on that, but really starting to tune into both aspects and honoring what we need in the present moment. So I thank Tammy for being on the show and I hope you check out the Good Life Fitness Leadership Summit. It's a really, really great event and a good way to think about bringing more health and wellness into your company in particular, your workplace environment. So I wish you a wonderful week, everyone. Stay in touch, and uh, we'll check in on the next episode of Let's Connect.